Well, good morning, church family. Our scripture today is going to be taken from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24, and I'm going to be reading verses 30 to 34, and then I'm going to read Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there, and uh, you'll find, um, well, you'll find Proverbs 24 in your church Bibles, the navy blue Bibles in the pouch in front of you, on uh, page 466, 466, and so... uh, Follow along with me as I read um, Proverbs 24, 30 to 34. I've also got these verses up on the screen. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Proverbs 12, 11 says, He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Well, this is the word of God. Well, n- nearly every state in our country these days boasts of um, regional vineyards, and Illinois is no different. Uh, there's the Northern Illinois Trail, there's the Southern Illinois Trail, there's the uh, Shawnee Hills Trail, and when you visit these places, when you see and pass these state vineyards, uh, you, know, you cannot help but be impressed by the, how thoughtful and uh, the organization that has gone into uh, row after row after row after row of these vines, uh, and and you can't help but come to the conclusion that a, you know, a fruitful vineyard really is a work of art. It's definitely a work. Year-round at that, I mean, the winter tasks, uh, winter tasks include uh, pruning the vines for the growing season ahead, and then, then spring comes, and then as the grape uh, flowers appear, they've got to be watched, and then you know, later the vines have to be thinned of unwanted shoots, and then someone has to oversee the leaf removal management uh, to ensure that the grapes receive just the right amount of sun, and then, and then as the grapes grow, you have to place nets uh, uh, to keep the, the birds away, and then, and then the grapes then have to be pruned so that the remaining grapes will mature, and then you know, at harvest time, why it's Often seven days a week for up to two months, a uh, uh, hundred hours each week of harvesting uh, the, the, the fruit of the vine. And, and then even after harvest, why there's the, the processing of the grapes. And uh, I mean, it's just work, work, work. It's one task after another. It's a year-round labor of love. Perhaps the most unmistakable and often unmentioned fact is this. Good grapes don't grow alone. Do they? 
I mean, vineyards just don't appear out of thin air. They have to be prepared. They have to be cultivated. They have to be groomed. They don't develop by themselves. Someone is always behind them, always. Now, we happen to live in the part of the United States you know, that we appreciate we appreciate the worth and the value of fertile soil. I mean, you don't have to convince anybody in our county that a fertile farmland or a fruit-bearing vineyard, that's a precious and priceless commodity. And as far as the Bible is concerned, to possess a vineyard, a fruit-bearing vineyard, was to possess the golden ticket. I mean... I mean, with care and skill, the owner of such vineyard could produce not only enough to feed the owner's family, but, but also the entire community. With proper stewardship, a fully producing vineyard was a gift that just kept giving and giving and giving to the degree that generations would be blessed, people would be fed, families and communities would be united and nurtured. Why, an entire economy grew out of a successful fruit-bearing vineyard, a, a food economy, a transportation economy, a distribution economy, a tourist economy, a, a social and emotional a, a, a connection, a, a, even the, a spiritual economy, as those residents in those regions would recognize that there is a God who is overseeing this, this entire fruit-producing economy and and. And stand and praise him as the ultimate source of blessing. All of this, all of this potential resides in a grape. Provided, of course, that you understand that good grapes don't grow alone. (laughs) You know, when you think about it, every person in here gets a vineyard. Your abilities and your talents, your skills and your gifts, your personality, your emotional wiring, that's a vineyard, isn't it? What about your vocational and educational experiences? What about even your painful experiences? Wouldn't those things constitute a vineyard? What about your family heritage, your friends, your networks? That's a vineyard. You know, this church is a vineyard, isn't it? And these days, I'm learning more and more that simply being a citizen of the United States of America, that's a vineyard. And I'll tell you something else that's a vineyard. Your marriage. If you're married, or if you choose marriage... It's the most important vineyard in your life. And someone might hear that and push back some at the preacher and say, well, I thought God was the most important vineyard in your life. Listen, God has given us the gift of marriage. Marriage comes from him. And so the vineyard of our marriage is a reflection of our relationship with the king of this universe. That's why I say, if you're married or if you choose marriage, it is the most important vineyard in your life. 
and of course, in a marital vineyard, good grapes don't grow alone, do they? Now, here's the deal. God never, ever forces anybody to take action to care for their vineyard, right? He doesn't do that. Now, we might do that with our children. We might say, you're not going to leave that table until you finish your vegetables. Randall Allen Boltinghouse. That's how my mom did it. I knew I was in trouble when she would do the staccato on my name. Randall Allen Boltinghouse. You are not leaving the table until you eat your vegetables. Okay. Well, God does not do that with us. We're grown-ups. He simply lets the law of the vineyard take over. The law of the vineyard. And our scripture today in Proverbs tells about that. Our scripture today tells the story about someone who was on one of those vineyard tours. And that tourist gets to the estate and is prepared to see one thing, but is aghast to see something, something totally unexpected. <laughs> totally expecting to see Im- immaculate rows of vines None of that. The place is a mess. Thorns are all over the ground. Weeds are everywhere. The the stone wall was loose and unstable. I mean, there obviously had not been any tuck pointing at all. I mean, things were a mess. Uh, uh, This tourist, you know, was wanting to see this thing of beauty. It should have been a thing of beauty. It could have been a thing of beauty. It could have been a source of pride and joy and income for the owner. It could have been the kind of place from which others would would come and eat and drink and smile and laugh. It it could have been a gift to everyone around. And and if nothing else, it could have been something that a passerby would, would notice and observe. Oh my goodness. And then perhaps get curious about the God who is overseeing all of that. Could have been all of those things. But that tourist says no such thing about that vineyard. I mean, it, did not, it didn't take an expert to see that that vineyard was far from its potential. Only the question, why? What caused this? I mean, was there some catastrophe? Was there a drought? I, I, I mean, is that what's causing this? Was there a flood? Was this estate... You know, a a, a battlefield in a war between nations. What's going on here? Was there a fire? What disaster? What disaster produced the look of this unkempt vineyard? What was it? And the tourist gives the answer. Right? You see it? It was just sheer negligence. Just sheer laziness. It was sloth. Verse 33. A little sleep a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. I mean, I mean, the owner of that vineyard was clueless about what it was he owned. The owner was oblivious to the fact that, that he was throwing away the opportunity of a lifetime. The law of the vineyard had taken over. Good grapes don't grow alone. I wonder if anybody here today feels like their marriage looks like 
Proverbs 24, 30 to 34. I just wonder. You look at your marriage and there's an ache in your heart because, yeah, I mean, there's thorns that are there and, yeah, there's weeds and uh, it's, it's not a fully producing vineyard. I mean, it's, and there's an ache in your heart over that and, and if anybody here feels that way, um, I think there's a better question that I want to tackle other than what caused this. Because in my experience, when I meet with couples and we do a flyover at their vineyard, they already know why it is the way it is. They already know and you, you already know why your vineyard looks the way it does. I have a better question than why. And it's this question. What now? What now? Can this vineyard be saved? Is there hope? Is there hope? And so we've come to this section of our Vow in our series, that phrase, forsaking all others, forsaking all others. And I believe that there's a word of hope. I believe that there's an answer to what now? And that answer resides in that second proverb that I read, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. That's a word of hope. Did you see it? Did you hear it? He who works his land, that is his marriage, her marriage in the marital vineyard, both husband and wife must be willing to commit themselves to the daily discipline and skill of working the land, cultivating the vineyard, while at the same time refusing to chase marital fantasies. He who works the land, his land, will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. So what I want to do in our remaining time is just answer two questions. The first is this. What marital fantasies need to be forsaken? What what marital fantasies do we just need to, to, to remove and forsake? What are those fantasies? I want to talk about that. And then I want to try to answer the question, what does it look like to work my vineyard, my marriage? Let's tackle the fantasies question. There's three that I want to offer, and the first is this. We need to forsake the fantasy that a good marriage happens by itself. Now, after all I've said, that Maybe should go without saying, but let me say it again. We need to forsake the fantasy that a good marriage happens by itself. Someone once said that love never commits suicide. Love never commits suicide. It just simply dies of neglect. Which means that one of the greatest threats to a marriage that is going well, and let me just say, we have Many marriages that are going well. Most of our marriages are going really well. And I thank God for that. 
that said one of the greatest threats to a marriage that is going well is a marriage that's going well. Yeah, you see, because it's in those times that, that, you know, when marriage is sweet, that we're just tempted to get lazy. We're tempted to think that we've arrived. You know, that we don't really have anything to work on anymore. And here's the news. Here's the deal. You can't be a sinner and marry a sinner, and we are. You can't be a sinner and marry a sinner and coast. Can't. You've got to get up every morning and reconcile to your spouse and God. You have to be humble enough to acknowledge that you've got room to grow. You've got to be willing to be confronted with your choices and desires and thoughts and words and behavior. Both have to be open. Both have to be a good student of the other. Being a good student of your spouse, studying and learning how to love him how to love her in brand new ways, in ways that show you're paying attention. You've got to figure out where the, where the potholes are in your marriage and then, A, drive around those and then eventually repave those, pave over those. You've got to fight from giving in to fear and anger. You've got to forsake fantasies. People have these fantasies about having this perfect marriage and this perfect group of friends and I'm going to go to the perfect church and have a perfect career and, 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 and if that can't happen, then I'm not going to do anything. Proverbs 24 is not fantasy-based. It's reality-based. <laughs> and the reality is this. Work the land that's your land. Your marriage, your household, your life because that's the life God has given you. And if it's ever going to be different, it's not going to be because there's some vineyard fairy fluttering around, sprinkling fairy dust all over it, and things just get better. It's not going to happen because you have this bubbly personality, and she has this bubbly personality, and the two of you together have enough fizz to fantasize your way to heaven. That's not going to happen. It's not. Good grapes don't grow on fizz. They grow, they grow because you ask God, what's the next step that you want me to take? And then you do it because he said it. Well, that's fantasy number one. Fantasy number two is this. We need to forsake the fantasy that my marriage ought to have instant produce. Instant produce. This is a vineyard we're talking about here. Okay, we're, 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 we're trying to make fine aged wine. We're not making Kool-Aid. Okay? Artificial flavor grape. How long does that take to make? About 30 seconds. And I'm making Kool-Aid here. Which prompts the question, are there places where you are demanding in an instant what can only be formed in a process? Are there places where you are demanding in an instant what will only be formed in a process? And so I'm thinking of 
those of us who either have in the past or are currently now taking the Financial Peace University course that we offer here. And, and you're learning that it's a process. And you're walking through the seven steps of, uh, and, and budgeting and, you know, the importance of having a $1,000 emergency fund and, and then the next step of getting rid of credit card debt and then, then the next step of, of building a, a, a three to six months savings of expenses. And it's a process. It's a process. But that's what's required if you're going to grow good grapes. Good grapes take time. I'm thinking of those of you who are in the middle of your career or your education right now and, and you're, you're trying to finish school and, and you know then after that there's an internship to complete and, and you're beginning to feel fatigued and tired and it's affecting you emotionally and, and, and mentally and what you need to understand is then that's going to affect how your relationship is at home and good grapes take time. It takes time. I'm thinking about those of you who are Uh, maybe frustrated over the spiritual growth that you don't think you're seeing in your relationship or in your spouse. And maybe you wish you prayed together more and you'd like your spouse to initiate it, but you feel like you always do. And it finally bugs you enough to talk about it, but because you've stuffed it for so long, you're now like a volcano and you're spewing hot lava all over the vineyard. And there's no crop. What I'd like to say is that perhaps instead of uh, um, uh, uh, griping that your spouse doesn't lead more in prayer, why don't you offer to pray with and for your spouse? Why don't you do that? Well, it's my spouse's up. No, 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 no. Let that go. Let it go. And let your example lead. Good grapes take time. Uh, this piece of wisdom has helped me um, in more than one dimension of my life, and so I offer it to you. You can do a lot less than you think you can in one year. You can do a lot less than you think you can in one year, and you can do a lot more than you think you can in five years. Whatever your vineyard looks like, probably it's going to produce less than what you think it can this year and more than what you think it can in five years. Good grapes take time. And I think that's why Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Please don't give up. Fantasy number three is this. We need to forsake the fantasy that I would have a better marriage if I had another partner.
we come into a room like this and we see somebody else's spouse. We go into another room and we see so-and-so's spouse. We say, well, they do this or they act like that. He's really organized. She's really self-disciplined or fit or well-read or really spiritual or an extrovert or they have a perky personality or they're just prettier. And it's very easy to start daydreaming of how much better you think your life would be if you didn't feel so stuck. And the truth of the matter is, church family, you come into a room like this and you see someone else, and that is you are seeing a person in one room of a thousand other rooms in their life that you don't see. You see me in this room. Oh, I have a starched shirt on because I like starched shirts. And you don't want to see the other rooms in my life. You don't. Because they're messy. There's clothes in that corner. And there's hair in that sink. And that's... I don't want to see that. That's, that's, that's too much information. Well, well, what? You know? You know, your spouse sees the, all, Sarah sees all the rooms in my life. They're not pretty. God bless her. Here's another story. Boy meets girl. Boy says to girl, I am really attracted to you. In fact, I'm attracted to you more than anyone else I've ever met. And I'm going to close the door to being attracted to other people. Wow. How impressively mature. Lucky girl. And then the girl disappoints the boy. And in a moment, in a moment, the boy is shocked by how her attractiveness makes no difference. She still looked the same, but he's no longer as attracted. And after that, some foolish boys will begin to fantasize about someone else being so attractive. And when that happens, we give Satan a foothold. Where are you giving Satan a foothold? Hey, where are you inviting Satan over to dinner? Someone said, our struggle is not with people who can merely kill you. Our struggle is with powers that are much more severe than that. Can we please listen to the wisdom of Proverbs 12, 11? He who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Could it be that some of us here are chasing any or all of these fantasies? Could it be? By the way, you can never catch a fantasy. You can only chase a fantasy. And the the moment you catch a fantasy, it becomes a nightmare. And these fantasies remind us something very important about marriage, and it's this. Your marriage may be great, but it's not safe. It's not. There's not a marriage that exists this side of heaven that is totally protected from problems. Marriages are good marriages, 
because both the husband and wife are committed to working the vineyard, their vineyard. He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Now let's talk about the first part of that proverb. What does it look like to work the land? And there's really just one point I want to make here, and it's um, successful vintners grow good grapes because they're always thinking harvest. Always. Oh, they embrace not the fantasies of fools, but the reality of the harvest. I think this is why Paul said in Galatians 6, 7, you, you know, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Man reaps what he sows. You know, good grapes don't grow alone. Good grapes don't grow on fizz. And, you know, Here's a really important lesson. You will never grow grapes from apple seeds. Ever. Ever. Did you know that? Everybody knows that. Or do we? Or do we? (laughs) Do we really get it that there's a relationship between the seeds we plant today and the harvest that we reap tomorrow? In marriage, every day. And you, do we really get it that, that, that in marriage, in the marital vineyard, there's not just the season of, har- of planting, you know, in the spring? No, no. Planting happens every day. Every day we plant and every day we harvest. Every day. And furthermore, what we harvest tonight is not what we planted this morning. It's what was planted earlier. Weeks earlier, years earlier, the seeds we sow, the little thoughts, the the small moments, the day-by-day interactions that make up a lifetime. And and so, you know, when we plant quarrelsome seeds, guess what's going to come out of the ground over time? A quarrelous vine. When we plant seeds of willing service, what's going to be, what will we reap? We're going to reap a vineyard of appreciation and respect What about how important it is to plant seeds of daily reconciliation? Daily reconciliation. And and here's what I mean by that. Listen, a spirit of reconciliation is not just needed when things go bad. A spirit of reconciliation needs to be a daily lifestyle. And when we plant daily seeds of reconciliation, over time we harvest the righteous reign of God over our marital vineyard. And the reign of God over our marital vineyard is very visible by the fruit of peace that's in our marriage. The peace that's in your marriage does more to show the reign and reality of God than, you know, a lot of evangelistic tracts, really. These seeds are small, but small seeds planted daily. They will eventually, listen, you know this, we know this. There's not just out here to the east at this this property that's next to us. They don't just plant one big kernel. Right? I mean, have you ever seen a 10-acre-sized kernel of corn? That's, I mean, that's that's a myth. That's that's Jack and the Beanstalk stuff. That's just not how it works. These seeds are small, and they're planted, and then planted daily. Even though they're small, they grow into an environment-changing 
forest. And likewise, great marriages are never forged in one grand moment, ever. And they rarely go sour in an instant, too. They just go sour one day at a time. One day at a time. And, by the way, there's never an option not to plant, right? There's never an option not to plant because the soil never stays neutral, right? What happens if you don't plant anything? Weeds are going to pop up because the soil's going to grow something. So the question is this. The question is this. What things are valuable to me right now? Things that I don't think I can live without. Whatever that is, whatever the answer to that question is, that is a seed that you're planting in your marriage. And therefore, then how is the harvest of such sowing affecting my marriage? So I have some questions for for healthy marital vineyards. I have nine. They're on the back of your outline. Let's just go through them. Question number one. Have I admitted and acknowledged that without Jesus Christ, I cannot be the spouse he wants me to be? Someone said, someone once said, we are in dire need of power we do not have if we, are a, if, if, if we want to maintain unity and harmony in marriage. I mean, for there to be unity and harmony in my marriage, I, I don't have enough power to make that happen. I need help. Jesus is help. Question number two. Have I made a decision to let Jesus be the unchallenged authority in my life? Am I willing to acknowledge and admit that he is the most competent person to tell me how to live my life? Question number three. Have I inspected the vineyard in my heart in order to see what needs to be cleared? We kind of talked about that a little earlier, didn't we? In Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Question number four is this. Have I admitted to God and then to my spouse where I have fallen short? Have I? Notice, have I admitted to God and then to my spouse? I could admit to God and then I say, God, what do you want me to do next? God says, tell her. Tell her. Question number five. Have I come to the point where I truly want God to remove this sin from my life. See, do I really want God to do it? Do I want him to remove it? And and some of you have seen this, but it's one of the both funniest and saddest verses in the Bible. It's uh, in Exodus chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. It's when Moses is having a conversation with Pharaoh, and it's the plagues, and the plague of frogs, and frogs infestate the country in Pharaoh's court, and you know, Mrs. Pharaoh wasn't happy. Exodus 8, 8, Pharaoh says to, to Moses, you know, get him out of here. And Moses says to Pharaoh in Exodus 8, 9, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except those that remain in the Nile. They're going to be in the Nile. Sorry. So what time do you want them to be gone? Verse 10. Tomorrow. Now, he obviously did not consult his wife on that. Tomorrow! Get him out now! (laughs) Get him out! I want him gone now! Just just, just tomorrow. See, how how bad is it? it, If 
if it's just a, well, tomorrow, then we haven't sunk low enough then, have we? Question six, have I made amends to my spouse for my sins against my spouse? Question seven, have I relentlessly and daily examined my life to see where I have fallen short and when wrong, promptly and without excuse admitted it? Question eight, have I sought prayer and or prayer with my spouse to improve our unity with God and his will? And then, question number nine, and this is, this is what encourage me, encourages me so much about um, uh, our dynamic ministry teaching team, the, the, the Wendlings and the Petzels and the Flints. It's this. Have we shared our marital journey with others in order to encourage them and in order to teach ourselves? You see, I know who gets the most in our dynamic marriage ministry, and it's the teachers, because the teachers always learn the most. The Flints, the Petzels, the Wendlings. church good grapes don't grow alone they grow with god's help when we forsake the fantasies and work the land that god has given us well this series has been titled the vow all right and you know these days uh when uh, i officiate at weddings and i meet with the and the bride and the groom, and we do the premarital counseling sessions, and then we talk about the ceremony. Uh, some couples, some couples just go with the traditional vows, and then, and then some want to write their own, and and that's okay. We negotiate that. Um, here's a vow that if you. If you're not really into the traditional vows, here's a vow that I could administer. Okay. It goes like this. There are a number of reasons why I am attracted to you. Now I will move on to better things. I am committed to learn how to love you more than I love me, and more than I want to be loved by you. I want this to be obvious to you. I want this to imitate the unity we can have with Jesus. I want this to please God. May God show me grace and mercy. Good grapes don't grow alone. Now, here's what we're going to do. 